Isaiah chapter number 50 tonight. And I'd like to begin reading in the first verse. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's only 11 verses. But uh, I'd like to read the entire <coughs> uh, chapter for context. And so I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. I'll just pause there and say I'm thankful the Lord knows how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. If you live the Christian life long enough, you're going to get weary at times. That means to be fatigued, to be drained, exhausted, overwhelmed. And there's times when we feel that way. I'm thankful the Lord knows just what to say in those times. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Now, these first nine verses we've read are prophetically speaking of Jesus Christ. And you probably picked up on that uh, as you read through it. In verse number 1, he's speaking of the nation of Israel's iniquities and sins uh, being a wedge between them and God. In verse number 2, he's speaking about God's ability to deliver, but the nation of Israel would not turn to them. Uh, Verse number 3, he's speaking about his great power wherewith he has shown his ability. Verse number 4, he's speaking about the ability to secure them that are suffering and to comfort them. Verse number 4, Five echoes back to Exodus chapter 21 and the servant uh, whose ear would be bored through with the all, speaking of his submission to God the Father. Verse number 6 is speaking about the buffeting and about the beating and about the plucking of the beard uh, that took place on Calvary. Verse number 7 is speaking about the determinate will of Christ as he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Verse number 8 and verse number 9 are speaking about his spotless and righteous nature, that there's nothing none that can contend with Him, uh, none that could be an adversary to Him, none that could condemn Him. But as we come down to verses 10 and 11, the focus is drawn away uh, from Christ and is drawn to those that have put their faith in Him. And notice carefully what it says, "...who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of His servant, that walketh in darkness, and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord." and stay upon his God. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. 
This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I just count it a privilege and thank you for the honor that it is to stand behind your pulpit tonight. God, I just ask that you'd help me through the power of the Holy Ghost. I need unction. I need guidance this evening. I need anointing. And I pray, Father, that you'd speak to each and every heart through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the application of your precious and holy word. I pray that each and every heart would be affected in a way that would glorify you and draw us closer to you, Lord. We'll be sure to thank you for what you'll accomplish. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As I read this passage, I am struck by the phrase, walketh in darkness. You'll find this phrase to be used all through the Word of God, but in many, many different connotations. Many of you have probably read in First John chapter number 2 when uh, John is writing about uh, those that hate their brethren, and he says that they walk in darkness. Uh, the book of Colossians speaks of walking in darkness or walking in the light. And certainly there is a sense in which the believer ought not walk in the darkness of iniquity and of sin and of idolatry. But that's not the context of what we're speaking about this evening. For you see, this is an encouraging and comforting passage given to the believers and a stark warning given to those that would fix the problems that they're facing on their own. As I think about darkness, there's about three things that come to my mind. And I want to give them to you very quickly. When I think of darkness, I think of crisis. You know, it's not uncommon uh, when there is a great tragedy or a great war that will take place or even inclement weather for darkness to cover a whole land. Some of you probably even the other day when those storms came through, rattled your windows, you woke up the next morning and your alarm clock was blinking 12 o'clock, I'm sure. It knocked your power out. And a lot of times one of the first things to go uh, when there is a crisis situation uh, is the light and the ability to see. So I think darkness is represented of crisis sometimes. And in our lives, uh, a lot of times when we are in a crisis situation, a place, a crossroads where a decision must be made, we find ourselves in darkness. But I also think about calamity. All through the Word of God, darkness is many times representative of calamity, great destruction that takes place in the life of people. And no doubt, there's been times when you've heard people say, oh, so-and-so, they're going through a dark time right now. Well, what do they mean when they say, that they mean they're depressed, they're down, they're discouraged. There's some calamity that has gripped their life and their being, and they are dealing with a difficult situation. So I think darkness can represent calamity as well. Uh, but I think probably one of the most common understandings of darkness is that of confusion. Uh, there's nothing worse than trying to stumble around in the dark. Uh, some of you, uh, about the worst injuries you've ever got is a stubbed toe in the middle of the night trying to get from your bedroom to the bathroom, amen, or maybe your bedroom to the refrigerator. I don't know which, but uh, darkness is always representative of confusion. You can't see, you can't discern in the midst of darkness. And as we read this passage, uh, it's important to understand what darkness can represent because we have about three words that I think are significant or three thoughts tonight that I believe are significant. I just want to try to preach an expository message this evening. I'm not going to try to dazzle you. I'm going to try to encourage you this evening. So I want you to notice that the first thing we see is a word about difficulty. Look at the first phrase in verse number 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of His servant, 
that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Now, there's some interesting contrasts that are set before us here. Uh, because the first thing I notice is it's speaking about this group of people that fear the Lord, that obey the voice of His servant, but that walk in darkness and hath no light, is that this is a group of people that are spiritual. I mean, they know who God is, and they're acquainted with God. It says that they fear the Lord. In other words, they have put their fear and put their faith in the Lord God, Jehovah. Do you know that that's talking about you if you've ever accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Uh, this is talking about a spiritual group of people. Uh, we see it in the uh, when it's talking about uh, their uh, fear of the Lord. But I want you to notice that they are a submitted group of people. Uh, the Bible says, and obeyeth the voice of His servant. Now, who's it speaking about when it says his servant? Well, in the context of this passage, I think it's pretty obvious that it's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, time and time again, he's called the servant of Jehovah. And certainly, he was the Son of God, but he was also the servant of God. And it says about this group of people that they fear the name of the Lord. They're spiritual, but they're submitted. They are obedient to the voice of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, uh, what does that mean to be obedient to the voice of Jesus Christ? Well, John chapter... Chapter number 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Uh, all things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. And you get down to verse number 14, and the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld His glory like as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You say, what does it mean when it says obeys the voice of His servant? It means obedient to the Word of God. Uh, so we find about these people that they are spiritual. They know God. They know the Lord. They are submitted. They are obedient to the Word of God. They're serving God. I mean, this is a group of people that you'd look at and you'd say, them's fine church-going people. These are the kind of people you'd look at and you'd think, well, they've got everything together. Their life is good. They're obedient to the Lord. I mean, when they come to church, they've got the whole family in tow and everybody's just uh, sharp as a new razor and they're on time and they're... I'm not one of them people, amen, but you, you know those people. And uh, you think to yourself, they've got Everything took care of. But look what it says. It says they were spiritual and submitted, but it says that walketh in darkness and hath no light. We see that though they were spiritual, though they were submitted, they were still a suffering group of people. Do you know that just because you're saved, that does not mean you won't have trials? Just because you're obedient to God, that doesn't mean you won't have difficulties. In fact, if you read in the Word of God, you'll find that often it's the people of God that bear the brunt of this world's anger and rage and hate. You look back at the uh, time of the Holocaust, over six million Jews uh, that Adolf Hitler mercilessly slaughtered. And you'll see that God's chosen people of Israel, uh, Israel in the flesh, bore the brunt of the hatred of this world. And do you know that not just the Jews, but you can look at the many thousands and hundreds of thousands, uh, maybe into the millions of missionaries that have been martyred on the field, and you'll see that this world uh, hates the people of God. But do you know not just in the sense of violence that can be wreaked upon a person's physical being, but also just in the malice, contempt, and hatred that is shown towards God's people? I've, I've never known of a time... I would say I've never seen a time, but I ain't seen lots of times, amen. But I've never known of a time when you look back through American history when Christians and Bible believers were as hated in this country as they are today. And there's an all-out assault on Bible Christianity. Now, if you want to talk about God, that doesn't upset anybody. But if you say Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, 
The Word of God is perfect and inspired and infallible. When you begin to say that uh, Christ and Christ alone is the only way to heaven, when you begin to say that He was born of a virgin, that He was sinless and spotless, you start to divide yourself from people. Uh, There's a group of people that's going to look at you and say, you're nuts. I'm not interested in yoking up with you. There's going to be a group of people that are going to look at you and say, you've gone too far. I'd say anything within the bounds of this leather cover is not too far, friend. I believe any time we line up with the Word of God, we've not gone too far. We're right where we need to be. Uh, There is a hate to the people of God from the world, but I believe there's a hate to the people of God from the flesh. We all battle the flesh. I don't care who you are. I don't care how spiritual you are, you still have to battle your flesh. Your worst enemy is the person you look at in the mirror every morning. My biggest problem in this world, it's not anybody else, it's Toby Weber. That's who I struggle with the most. And uh, the Bible, and we preached about it just on Wednesday night, about the uh, fleshly lusts that war against the soul. And it's an ongoing battle that we're going to have to face. We're not only fighting the world, but we're fighting the flesh. But do you know that not only the world and the flesh, I believe we have an, an adversary, and I believe his name is the devil. You say, well, uh, you know, preacher, that's elementary. Well, call me elementary then, okay? You say, well, preacher, that's simplistic. Well, call me simplistic. I don't think it's simplistic to believe the Word of God and what it says about Satan. He's a real literal being. Do you hear me tonight? He's got your number, so you better believe me tonight. He's got your family's number, so you better believe me tonight. He's a real literal being, and he seeks to destroy you. We see in the life of Job how that Satan uh, set himself against Job. God allowed it. And I'm thankful that the Lord was on the throne the entire time. Though Satan may have been in his chariot, God was still on his throne. Though the battle may rage against you, don't think you, that it's unseated God for one moment. Uh, but Satan set himself in array against Job. Calamity after calamity entered into Job's life. The entire book of Job has as its theme, why do the godly suffer? Do you know why that's so important? Because I don't care who you are, you're going to deal with suffering in life. You're going to deal with loneliness. You're going to deal with frustration. You're going to deal with discouragement. You're going to deal with uh, enemies that were once friends. You're going to deal with people turning their back on you, people hurting you. It's a natural reality of life that we're going to deal with. With suffering. So we see this word about difficulty. Difficult times will come in your life. There will be times that you will not understand what's going on. Times when you enter into the darkness of life. We see a word about difficulty, but I want you to look at the end of verse number 10. We see a word about dependence. God gives some advice to the believer in this time. And notice what he says. He says, uh, let him trust in the name of the Lord. And stay upon his God. I'd ask you this question tonight. What do you do when you come into difficult times? What do you do when you feel as though you're suffering? What is the answer? What is the response? What do you do when you go into dark times? We see two things in this passage, and I'm just going to note them. I want you to notice that the first thing is we see a call to confidence. It says, let him trust in the name of the Lord. Now, this is interesting that it says in the name of the Lord. One of the most fascinating studies you'll do in the Word of God is about the name of the Lord. Not just the names of God, those are fascinating as well, but this idea of the name of the Lord. You know, a name in and of itself, it has no intrinsic value. There's two things that a name must have for it to mean something. One is an identity. 
it must identify someone to you. And most of you, if I was to say a name, there'd be someone that would come to your mind. Even if it was just a first name, there'd be somebody that would immediately come to your mind and you'd think, that's who I think of. There's an identity. But not only must there be an identity, there must be a history. For a name to mean something, you have to not only know someone, you have to know something about them. I believe what the book of Isaiah is telling us here is that when we come into dark times, there is a wealth of history concerning the character and ability of God upon which we can put our faith. Do you realize tonight that the God that you serve is the God that parted the Red Sea? Do you realize tonight that the God that you serve is the one that delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, that brought the flies, that brought the lice, that brought the darkness, that brought the frogs, that brought the hail, that brought the boils? that brought the uh, pestilence upon the nation of Israel. Your God is the God uh, that with a strong hand led them out of the nation of Egypt. Your God is the one that led them through the wilderness. Your God is the one that dropped manna and quail from heaven. Your God is the one that brought water uh, from the rock. Your God is the one that led with His own tender hand this wandering people through a barren wasteland full of bandits, full of armies, full of enemies, and brought them into a land of Canaan full of milk and honey, clusters of grapes bigger than you'd ever see to an inheritance that was their own that God had promised them. The psalmist asked this question, Can God furnish a table in the Wilderness. You know what's implied there? That God can furnish a table in the wilderness. I'm saying tonight there's a history of the goodness and greatness of God. Uh, your God is the one that set up His own King David upon the throne of Israel. Uh, your God is the one uh, that led the nation of Israel through uh, trial after trial, uh, through national crisis after national crisis. Your God is the God that allowed them to be led into captivity, that He with a high hand might bring them out of captivity. Your God is the God that's preserved the people of God. The Jewish nation has preserved them uh, for 2,000 years to bring them back into their own land. Your God is the God that's able tonight, is what I'm saying. And you have someone you can trust. Your God's the God that saved you. Your God's the God that lifted you out of a miry uh, clay and lifted you out of a pit and set your feet upon a solid rock and established your goings. Put a new song in your mouth that you might sing praise to Him. I'm saying God's able tonight. You have a God you can trust tonight. Sometimes it seems as though it's just going to rush in over our head. The psalmist spoke of being overwhelmed. And it's easy to feel overwhelmed tonight when you're walking through a darkness that you didn't ask for. Through a darkness that you can't understand. Through a darkness that though you might try to reconcile it and rationalize it, you just can't make heads or tails of what God's doing in your life. You've got a God that has walked through the valley of the shadow of death with every saint uh, from Adam until now. You've got a God that goes with you and that walks with you. It's during those times we have to look back upon what God's done. It's during those times we have to uh, sometimes shake ourselves and remind ourselves who our God is because the devil would lie to us and have us believe that our God is a fairy tale or a fabrication or a feeble God amongst many. But the Word of God teaches us that that is not so. The Word of God teaches us that He's not just a king, He's the King of kings. He's not just a Lord, He's the Lord of lords. And Deuteronomy brings it all full circle when it says that He's not just a God, He's the God of gods. That's the God that we serve tonight. That's the God that walks through the darkness with you. 
That's the God that hears when you call and He answers when you pray. That's the God that we serve. We see a call to confidence. But I want you to notice the second phrase. We see a call to closeness. It says to stay upon His God. What does it mean to stay upon His God? That word stay, it means to lean. All through the Word of God, you'll find it time and time again with people leaning upon something. And in the book of Isaiah, it says we've got to learn to lean on God in the dark. Uh, it's inevitable any time that you are walking through the darkness, if someone's walking there with you, and uh, all of a sudden it goes pitch black and dark, what's the first thing you do? You reach out to feel where they're at. There's something about having someone close in the midst of the darkness. And if you don't have anyone around, you know what the first thing you're going to do is? When it goes dark, if you've ever been walking through your house and the powers went off, you know what I'm talking about. You're walking through the house and the darkness uh, sets in. The first thing you do is you reach out. You're reaching for something stable. You're reaching for something that don't change. You see, that hamper, you might move it around different places. or That, uh, that chair might be moved around different places, but you're not reaching for them. You're reaching for them walls. You know why? Because they don't go anywhere. When you, when you feel the wall, you know where you're at. It gives you a sense of, of direction in what you're doing. Though you may not be able to see any plainer, you know that you're not there with nothing to grab onto. There's an anchor for you. And can I say tonight that the first thing to do when you enter into the darkness is to remember who God is. But the second thing for you to do uh, when you go into the darkness is to reach out where God is. Reach out where He's at. We have a tendency when darkness sets in to step away from God. I don't know why that is, but we do. When things grow difficult, we want to start questioning God then. You know, I like what Job said. Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Oh, He slay me. Though He allow my life to go through the ring, or though He put me on the threshing floor and thresh me as wheat, I'll not turn my back on the God of heaven. Job said, I'm just going to reach closer to where He's at. You may be going through something right now that you didn't sign on for. Most of us didn't. <laughs> if you're going through a difficult time, you probably didn't sign on for it. You may be going through something tonight that you never expected. Could I say that though you're going through it, God is still there. And there's still someone you can draw close to in the midst of this darkness. If you're going to lean upon someone, that implies two things. It implies uh, drawing close and it implies staying close. Putting all of your weight Upon him, or as Peter told us in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We have a word about dependence given to us. And finally, I want you to notice, look at verse 11. We see a word about defiance that is given to us. There's two things people do when they go into the darkness. One is they lean upon God. Notice the second thing. It says, Behold all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, in the sparks that ye have kindled. I want you to notice that there's a certain group of people that's going to trust in God. But then there's another group that are going to try to depend upon their own self-reliance. The image that's given to us is a person that is in the midst of darkness and they're traveling and traversing. And in the midst of this darkness, there's some when it gets dark, they reach out closer to God. But there's other that they stop where they're at and they start to kindle their own fire and their own light to walk by. You know, I've known people like this and I've been guilty of it at times in my life. 
But we have a tendency, when God doesn't hurry up, we just want to go our own way. When God's not doing it on our timetable, we want to do it on our table, and we want to just go on without Him. We have to be careful about self-reliance, because listen carefully to me tonight. Self-reliance is sin. I know we have a tendency... uh, Because this world promotes self-reliance. And I understand what they mean in the context of it. I think it's good for a man to work, provide for his own family. That's not the kind of self-reliance I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritually speaking, self-reliance is a sin. If we're depending on anything but God, we're not depending on God. Until we learn to lean upon Him and His strong arm, we're never going to know what true peace is. I'm always reminded, and this story in the Word of God, or or history, or narrative, whatever you want to call it, it's a real factual story in the Word of God about Joshua. uh, In uh, the book of Joshua, chapter number 7, when it speaks about him, or excuse me, chapter number 5, when it speaks about him preparing the march against the city of Jericho. There's an interesting story that's told to us. The Bible says that Joshua has all of his troops and he's en route to Jericho and he's going to begin a war upon Jericho. Uh, But before he gets there, the Bible tells us that he sees a man standing upon the hill and that man upon the hill uh, has a sword in his hand. And Joshua walks up to this man and he's in the sight of all of his army. And he walks up to that man and he says, essentially, this is what Joshua says. He essentially says, are you for us? Or against us. That's what he says to him. He walks up to this man. Got a sword he's brandishing. And he says, are you for us? Or against us? The voice answers back and say, nay. But I am come as the captain of the host of the Lord. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. What's the significance of that? Well, the host of the Lord can denote an angelic army. And there are angelic armies in the word of God. And it can denote that. But. The phrase, the host of the Lord, does not always mean an angelic army. Many times it's used concerning the army of the nation of Israel. Now, wait a minute and hear what he's saying. He asks the man, are you for us or against us? And the man that's standing there says, Joshua, no. I'm neither for you, nor am I against you. He says, that army down there that you think you're leading, he says, that's the army that I'm leading. It was none but the Son of God that stood upon that hill that day. You'll never convince me otherwise. And what Joshua was trying to do is he was trying to say, God, here's my plan. Would you rubber stamp it? He was trying to say, God, here's my plan. Are you for me or against me? You know, a lot of us are satisfied to feel like we're submitted to the Lord as long as we're going the same direction that God's going. But you just wait until God asks us to walk in some darkness. And we'll find out how willing we are to follow God. It's easy to follow God in the light when everything's going well. It's easy to, hey, it's easy to follow God when you've got your your children and when you've got your, uh, your livestock and when you're one of the richest men in the world. It's easy to follow God when everything's going well. But you wait until like Job, uh, when the wind comes in and blows your life to pieces and the bandits come in and steal and destroy everything you've got. Could you say like Job as he stood beside ten freshly dug graves that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy in the light. But you wait till the darkness comes. And many of us, we're guilty of starting to, starting to shave off some of them sparks and trying to light our own fire. We see 
that their self-reliance is spoken of. But I want you to notice that God's sad resignation is spoken of. When I speak of a resignation, I don't speak of God giving up being God. But God resigning His actions on a matter. And you know what He says in the middle of this verse? He says, walk in the fire that you've kindled. He says, behold ye that kindle a fire. But then He says, walk in that fire that you've kindled. I'm a firm believer in this, and a lot of people would probably disagree with me. But I believe that if you argue with God enough, you'll get your own way. And there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. But God is a wonderful God that respects our free will, friend. A lot of people say, well, why don't God just save everybody? Because not everybody wants to be saved. And God's not going to trample upon anybody's free will. God's going to respect your choices. That's the kind of God we've got. And God is willing. Listen, you want to walk your own way, God will let you walk your own way. God will step back. He won't force your hand. He'll let you walk your own way. And I've seen a lot of lives destroyed by people kindling their own fires and walking in the light of it. You know, funny thing about it. (coughs) Funny thing about it, if you've ever walked with a lantern, or if you've ever even walked with a flashlight, some of them, most of the ones that I got in my house, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't flash light, they just glow light. <laughs> I ain't changed the batteries in, in, you know, five years, so they just glow light, they don't flash light. But if you've ever walked with a lantern or with a torch, you know that it lights up that area right around you awful well. But you look a little bit out into the darkness, and you're just all the more blind for the light that you're holding. Let me tell you something. You start kindling your own light, you may feel like you've got the immediate situation under control, but the problem is you don't see right down the road what's laying ahead. It'd be better to walk in darkness holding the hand of God than to walk holding our own torch of our self-reliance and not know what's coming down the road. You say, well, preacher, we don't know what's coming down the road when we walk with God. Well, that's true about some things. But there's other things that we do know for sure when we walk with God. Uh, For instance, uh, the Bible says, Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And what does it say? And He shall direct thy paths. I know even if I'm in darkness that if I'm trusting in God, He's directing my paths. I know the Bible says that, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I know that if I'm walking through a difficult situation, though I may not know what's going to happen, I know that He's walking with me. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But I know this, though God will never forsake us, there is a sense in which we can forsake Him. And a sense in which God has to allow some things in our life to get our attention. I know this. I may not have the light where I'm walking right now, but I've got the hand of the one that controls the sun and the moon. But I start to kindle my own kind of fire and do things my own way and do it in my own self-will and ambition. God says, just walk on in the light that you've kindled. We see a word about their self-reliance. We see a word about God's sad resignation. But I want to say that we see a word about their sorrowful results. God says, this shall you have of mine hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. God says, you can do things your way, but it'll never satisfy. There's not very many people in this life that know what satisfaction truly is. You know it? The Bible talks in the book of Hebrews about rest. 
and that there is a rest that remaineth for the believer. And I understand that there is a rest that is spoken of concerning heaven. And heaven's going to be some kind of rest, friend. Rest doesn't mean uh, to lack activity. Uh, what rest means is to be rejuvenated. And let me tell you something, friend. There ain't nothing more rejuvenating than heaven. <laughs> New body, healed body, glorified body. No fatigue, no hunger, no thirst. Oh, I, I don't know, you may believe different, but I, I don't even... The only time we'll be hungry is when we want to be so we can eat. Amen? I mean, we won't have to have those things, but we'll have them. But I believe also there is a rest that is promised to the believer when they cease to do things their own way and lean heavy upon the arm of an almighty God. Let me tell you something. Tonight, each and every one of us only has one decision we've got to make in life if we've already been saved. One decision. Will I obey God or will I not? You make the decision to obey God tonight. And every decision heretofore through all eternity is already made for you. You're just waiting on the answer. You make up your mind tonight to obey God. You say, I don't know what He'll ask of me. Well, I don't either. But I know it'll be right. I know it'll be what you need. I know it'll be what's best for you. And I know it'll be the only thing that satisfies the question is, are we willing to walk in the darkness with Him? Or are we going to walk in the light of our own ability and our own strength?